Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Onward with William McCarthy, live from Red Hook, Brooklyn. What is good, everybody? What is good? Wow, so much to get into today. Hope you're making it through your February. I know that I am barely making it through my February. <laughs> my coping mechanism is basically not leaving the house, which is fine. Um, it is a lot to get into as I will uh, as I will explore in this episode of uh, award-winning, spellbinding, intriguing, enthralling, honored with William McCarthy podcast. All right, guys. So where do we leave off last week? I have been, uh, if, you're, if you're just tuning in, I know we're burning up the charts. We are loved in Latvia. We are loved in Belarus. <laughs> if you're just tuning in, basically what I've been up to is I've been playing shows for three years. I played my last show a couple months ago in December, and I just pulled over, and I've been really working towards independence and DIY fashion. And the first thing that comes with something like that is you need to have a space um, to foster your creativity, right? And I have uh, I have a really dingy downstairs in my um, apartment, um, and it's a house, I guess, an old house. I'm in the middle floor. And it was kind of like a songwriting cave. And I've just been spending the past, I would say, three weeks um, really grinding to build this thing into a studio. But there are there are quiet victories. And I call it um, monk life because I, I don't know how everybody else is. I'm not very good with hearing music and reading at the same time. Anybody else suffer from that? I, uh... Yeah, so I, I end up like kind of listening to music, turning it off <laughs> to read and to read, you know, tutorials and instruction manuals and things like that. And um, then I turn it back on again. So it's this like focus, take a step back. And, you know, I get caught up in things like, you know, space is, it was pretty ugly. And I'm, I'm really, people are on my Patreon, my Onward Facebook and stuff. Um, they've seen pictures of it and it's crazy, like, I, I actually have been really, I don't know if anybody knows this about me, but I love digging through trash. Not like digging into it, but I, I like exploring what people leave on the street, like is in trash. It's, it reminds me of leaner days when I was a kid. It reminds me of um, being a, a, a teenage musician. It reminds me of being poor and it just kind of like a quiet, very, it's like a very, worry-free thing for me to do and I I found um, some cool stuff this week. The girl next door actually used to run her place as an Airbnb. She doesn't know that I go through her trash <laughs> but uh, she's an interesting cat, man. Basically, I think that I, I mean, it's not the nicest story, but I heard that she inherited some money and her, her, her mother passed away and left her this place and she Airbnb'd it. And when I was looking for a place when I'd come back from Europe um, three years ago, um, I was staying there. Um, I stayed there for a couple of days. I called it the pee pee castle because it smelled like cat piss. Apparently, she had cats. You know how cats are like weird, they smell sometimes, but pee pee castle. Anyway, she threw out. A power saw the other day she threw out like an old sort of uh, Mexican looking bowl which was phenomenal snag that 
and um, she left some kind of clothing rack, which, you know, anybody could tell you from New York City, there's not a lot of space in these apartments, so um, you get creative, and clothing racks are something that people do to kind of um, maximize space in their room. So while I'm finding all this stuff, I'm building out this studio with those materials, right? So... I've got some wildflowers that are dried that I think picked like last year. They were just kind of for the house, but they look good because this little dungeon needs that. And I made a second tier on my desk. I got it out of garbage. It was, it was wood from a wood shop. And I basically like stacked it up, cut it up, and made this beautiful little desk so that the, the studio's coming along. I'm calling it the Millennium Falcon. Sorry, Millennium Millennium Falcon. Oof. Um, because it's like I bought the right stuff to build it, but it never works right. And I end up using gaff tape. Anybody ever use gaff tape? It's phenomenal. It doesn't weather cold very well, but like I'm basically like gaff taping <laughs> television sets. I'm gaff taping... Um, Things that should be bolted and, you know, the reason I started this gaff tape mania was because yesterday a tragedy happened, folks. I, I dropped a portrait lens that was as expensive as the entire camera. I bought the portrait lens and it'll be, it's... I'm going to be releasing it very, very soon. But I went down to South America and filmed uh, essentially like kind of sh really short, creative type of mini film thing for the record. And I just thought, you know, I'm tired of hiring people. I'm just going to buy the damn camera. And the more I read, it was like, wow, this is this really beautiful cinematic lens. People don't usually go for it because it's kind of expensive. Anyways, I was playing a lot of shows at the time, and I got this thing. That's how I spent my day yesterday, cleaning the pieces of this beautiful thing off, uh, off, the, off the ground. But no big deal. DIY spirit. We're doing this. It's fine. Um, got a tour announcement coming. It will be in two months. I am about to announce it. I am looking at the dates, and it's looking like late April... And it's going to be overseas. That's all I will say. It is a magical, special time. And it's going to be kind of something that I can't even, like, I can't even believe is happening. So it's exciting. So here I am, February, deep winter. I know it's not pretty, man. I know it's not pretty out there. It is in Mexico. But I'm here. Music, editing, this, that, cameras, lighting, my whole spiel, spiel here is that I want to be independent. I don't want to hire people anymore for stuff. I don't want to be on labels that have a director they want you to meet. I don't want to talk to a press person about making a bio. I want to do it myself. I'm completely capable of doing everything. Now, I've deleted 5,000 photos uh, yesterday on accident, not only out of my phone, but out of my iPad, all my devices, and out of my trash. Don't know how that happened. Cracked a lens, cost more than my my damn camera, and I have to keep redoing tracks because I'm so terrible at it. I'm failing at everything, literally terrible at everything. I feel kind of low a lot. 
and you know i'm pretty bad with reading instructions is it me andy warhol said it like i don't read much i just look at pictures i i can re i can i can get into that man um i'm kind of a wrecking ball to be honest and wasn't you know isn't that a f funny thing like you just gotta keep grinding away even though it's ugly it's like i suck at this but that's why I'm, I called my podcast Onward, because you just got to keep struggling forward. So people ask me, um, like, what kind of music am I, I'm, I'm into or I listen to? So I always do uh, playlists, and I get really excited about stuff. I've been listening a lot to Calypso music. It was something that kind of caught me off guard. It was, it, it was, it, it arrived... Um, into the Caribbean in like the 18th century, I believe. And it came by way of slaves. And it was used basically um, with African slaves as a way to communicate with each other because they were allowed to sing at times, but they weren't allowed to talk a lot of the time. So um, I kind of researched this and found out that they, they like there was um, like slave traders and, and slave drivers like in, in the fields and they would kind of sing to each other, which was amazing. Not surprisingly, it was like um, a Creole language and uh, a French Creole language. And you look at the region of the Caribbean and the Calypso moved around. It was from Trinidad originally. And um, it moved around the Caribbean. And I want to think about it like, inter like in intermeshing in into Cuban music, Calypso music, and other art forms, it starts kind of like being this amalgam. And then some people say that New Orleans is the most northern Caribbean city, right? So New Orleans is included in some conversations about being a part of the Caribbean, which, you know, I could totally understand that. It's like a diaspora, I completely understand that. But Calypso music moves around and ends up kind of going down into South America and into Venezuela and... I find it really interesting. I was, I, I, it kind of blows my mind because it's essentially a snapshot of the Caribbean pre-reggae. And I'm a big, like, old-school reggae fan and dub and ska and all that fun stuff. But the, it's, it's, it's a snapshot of the Caribbean before that. And when we see the Harry, Harry Belafonte era of Deo, Deo, in the you know from 55 to like mid 60s we see something that probably got played out capitol records columbia records and it was like a hot it was a hot trend calypso and then you see like the the reggae guys like marley and tosh and bunny whaler and and of course we know uh reggae there was dance hall and ska and it eventually became reggae. And then in Bob Marley's era, it became a Rasta thing and uh, became like a religious thing, which was making me wonder if it like took back its power. Like if it became like this kind of sold out, cause Calypso's like almost obnoxiously optimistic, like in, <laughs> in positive sounding like, hey, and it's got this kind of like, obnoxious optimism to it and, and that reggae is like maybe good love but not so neat and i'm um, talking about jaja rastafari and all that stuff so very fascinating other stuff that i'm into right now is tuva if anybody has ever heard of tuva 
It is basically a part of northern, um, sorry, southern Siberia. And it's completely fascinating. Now, you know, when you look at um, Mongolia, what's so interesting and uh, it just visually appealing about it is, is obviously they're like Asian looking Russians. What drew me to their music actually has a lot to do with Ireland. Stay with me. In Ireland, there's a thing, like, many Americans actually have misconceptions about bagpipes. I think people think Highland pipes are from Ireland here, which is not true. That's a Scottish thing. In Ireland, what you hear quite a bit is an illan pipe. And I believe the word illan has to do with, means stomach. And it's basically a bag that is, oh no, I think illan actually means arm or elbow if I'm correct. And basically you push this bag in with your elbow and it has like a, like sort of a flute on it and it drones and you play these drones with your fingers. Um, it's a powerful thing to see in real life and to, I've performed with an Illin pipe player before and it's something to behold. Anyways, what makes that instrument work is it's got a and on the top is B it's the keys and the or the notes kind of changing, right? Now in Tuva, there's something called Tuvan throat singing. Um this is a fascinating thing to behold. It is basically it it sounds incredible incredibly uh, like improbable that this even could be possible, but they can sing two melodies with one human being. I repeat, one dude can sing two melodies, i.e. like Mary had a little lamb, little lamb. And the, the other melody could be like, um, you know, <laughs> we got to not belong to lovers. Like they could do that at the same time with their voice. Now they're not lyrics per se, but what happens is that in Tuvan throat singing, the diaphragm becomes the drone like in the Illin pipe. The, so they can do that with their diaphragm and then with their lips. I'm going to see if I can find some for you. I've never tried this before in the podcast, but I'm just going to like play something out of the speaker. Basically how I found this stuff. I, I actually found this like 20 years ago. There was a wonderful uh, documentary about this blind uh, musician from San Francisco that goes to Tuva and it's all in Russian. And he's in this, and he wants to learn this technique of how to do Tuvan throat singing. But how I started when I was building out the studio, I'm down here and this is how songs get written. This is how albums, this is how I came up with rising sunken ships. This is how, Todd came up with the Rise movie is like you just work and things that kind of course through your veins and your head, um, they lead you in directions. Anyways, I started listening to this incredibly brooding, droney, um, mystical music. And uh, and this is what it uh, sounds like. It's That sounds a little weird. Like, what the hell am I doing? I'm listening to Billy McCarthy talk about uh, Siberian um, throat singers. But 
you look it up. T-U-V-A. You tell me what you think. And this is what I think is fascinating about it. Tuvins wake up each morning sprinkling milk on the ground to the north, south, east, and west with a special wooden spoon in nine small hollows for various milk products made. Scientists also believe about Tuvins that they are the closest to genetically to North Americans, i.e. Native Americans in the States and Canada. Um, this is our re- the closest relative that, that we have. And obviously we know that like we, you know, we descend from Asia. We're descendant of Asia or, or not we. I would be an Irish-American Euro person. But Native Americans obviously came from over the, uh, over the pond there in Asia. Now, kooky enough, in 2000-whatever, 13 when I rode my motorcycle from Mexico to Alaska, if I had kept going, I was not far from, from Russia. I really wasn't. Um, that The Bering Strait, it's right there, and it just, ooh, this is so fascinating. When I grew up in Northern California, there's a place um, where like fur traders came from Russia in Northern California. Northern California of all places. place called Fort Ross. It's kind of around uh, Bodega Bay. And basically what I'm trying to say is Russia's a lot closer than you think. So it's not that crazy that you're hearing Bill McCarthy talk about Tuvan throat singing and strange Calypso stuff. Anyways, that's what I've been into. Visual art, kind of the side. I've been doing a lot of graphic design. Um, I've been, okay, let's talk a little bit about the online world. Now the world's changing. As we well know, I was thinking about, you know, Amazon Prime or, I don't know, Netflix or something. I was thinking, you know, God, it is getting easier. I don't miss those. What was it? Redbox? Remember that awful thing? And remember video stores just wandering around them trying to figure out what to rent? It's amazing. Like, technology's amazing. But one thing it's not doing so hot is offer music for tutorials on youtube jeez louise if anybody is in a similar situation for me where they're trying to teach themselves multiple things graphically or other you are watching youtube and when you watch youtube it's like hey what's up this is kyle at tech corner um what's up just like dude who the fuck green lighted this garbage this is some really bad music, man. And my theory on it is that it's royalty-free music and people can get a hold of it. But like, hey, listen, don't swim with the other polywogs upstream or the downstream. Don't follow those polywogs. Music, <laughs> music is so powerful. It's so weird that this is getting accepted as music. Do yourself do yourself a favor, man. When you watch commercials, listen to the music in the background. Like listen, listen to YouTube background music and podcast music. It's really low level shit. I'm appalled. Uh, so watching so many like different tutorials, and it's just like, a, a, come on, man. Someone's got to change this. Also, the like slow motion. <laughs> we're in a digital age. I mean, we got we're on Instagram with like women doing duck face standing in front of yachts that they don't own and that's acceptable we just swipe right swipe right swipe right modern life it's kind of this coronavirus thing sounds like for real man i'm trying to 
not make jokes about it, but it does sound like some sci-fi shit. It's like quarantined and contained, and apparently it's supposed to hit at least, I know a lot of you from not the States, like it's supposed to hit the States pretty hard and soon. Category three is Iran and Italy, and Italy is a place that I'm I'm in a lot. It's um, when I came back from Southeast Asia, whatever two months ago, I thought it was funny that where people were wearing masks, but it's not uncommon in Asia. But yeah, this is uh, this is, oof. yeah, man, a virus, cruise ship, quarantine. Um, epidemic, pandemic, it's, uh, yeah, okay, moving on, all right, where are we at, that's, that's a real boner killer, uh, good times, epidemics, yes, um, okay, the next episode, this next, sorry, next chapter in this podcast will be called No Homo, now, bars are a weird place, They've always been weird. I've seen some really crazy stuff in my life at bars. And I bartended in a dive bar and shit is real. Um, so many, so many experiences, people with pistols, um, drug dealers, really sad people sometimes like that just needed a hug or needed someone to listen to them. Just kind of like haunting the bar stool. Um, I wrote, I've written about it in my lyrics for years. Like it's an interesting place to, I want to say end up, you know, I I don't, when I think of life, I think of like wind and hair, um, being with your family on 4th of July or like being at a big soccer stadium with all your friends and singing along together or running down cobblestone or being out in the countryside, riding a horse. Like that's, you know, like not ordering another, uh, Manhattan sitting there and telling someone that your life story that doesn't want to hear it. Um, the shit is real. One of the weirder things that happened to me in bar life was, uh, I had closed and there was a cop that used to look out for me a bit. I'd give him free drinks and he was kind of like, kind of like quiet, keeping an eye on things. Security He had a gun and a badge, but he was a plain clothes type. No, he wasn't. He was off off duty so he's off the clock so he, but he always had his pistol with him and he always had his badge but he would drink himself to, into passing out so like he had he was passed out on the bar everyone was out and i started hearing all this rustling and i opened the door and there's this tall Jamaican dude with dreadlocks that looked like Predator. The guy was like nine feet tall and he's having sex with this girl who's standing on the toilet. And I looked down and it was impressive. There was no toilet lid. She was like <laughs> balancing on the rim. But she was so short and he was so tall and he's from behind and she's standing on this thing looking like, like she just went off like a luge or like a ski jump. Like just kind of in a, a like an athletic crouch. <laughs> it was so awkward. So... In a situation like this, you're like, what do I do? Do I, okay, I'll come back later. Uh, sorry, man. But I, I said, I was like, no, I'm going to come at this dude. I'm like, listen, out, get the hell out. You guys need to get the hell out. The dude still mid sex, like, you know, <laughs> her dress is pulled up, his pants around his knees. This is the, the balls of the guy, like 
no pun intended, literally pulls out a knife mid-sex and puts it up to my my face and was like, you know, go, go away. I, I, I'm going to finish. So, like, the guy has a knife and the girls, like, you know, they close the door. They finish their sex and then they come out. They, you know, compose themselves. They come out and they leave. And I go over and I kick the damn cop. Like, dude, wake up. I got a knife pulled on me, man. And um, the guy threatened my life. He said he was going to kill me. I think he said he's going to stick it in my neck or something. This is like a, this is, but in like a thick Jamaican accent. I'm like, oh my God. Go to the corner store. And who's there ordering a sandwich? The guy that nearly, the guy that threatened to kill my, kill me. <laughs> Stab me in the neck and take my life. What did I do? Nothing. That's New York. A corner store is like a neutral place. All the street rules don't apply. No frictions with people apply. You're just there and guy was threatening my life ordering a sandwich so no homo i'm at a bar new york bars are so strange um pardon me uh, they're very they're very strange they're, they're like these mashups people don't have room here so they go dining a lot they go to bars a lot and i'm there and this dude kind of looks like he could be in the film Depart the, the Departed, <laughs> the Departed, the uh, the Boston like Irish crime stuff. Dude is wearing like like a tucked in T-shirt with like a cross, like a gold cross necklace, and he's sitting there. First, he starts like you know he's just talking like kind of close talker. I realize guys had a couple drinks. And he's hanging out with two other guys that I recognize from the bar. These bars are an intersection. Like one of my favorite couples in the bar is actually a Jew that goes out with a Palestinian. They're a cool couple. Um, we've got off-duty cops. We got like drug dealers. We've got gay people. We've got black, white, Asian, other, whatever, blue collar, rich people, like movie stars, you know, guys that are illegal that, came over the border and are trying to send money home. It's a funny little room to be in. Um, in it, but if the music's good and the drink prices are not obnoxious, you can hang out in there for a little while. So this dude when the cross necklace starts like talking to me and he's saying, he's saying like, Hey, uh, no homo, but I, I love your mustache. <laughs> I'm like, you know, you don't have to make a make a disclaimer uh, on that sentence. Uh, you could just be like, tight tight mustache, bro. <laughs> but but I, so we're sitting there, you know, going, you know, he starts talking. He's like an Italian guy from the neighborhood. He says the no homo thing again. He's like, big hands, no homo. Got big hands, man. Like, look, those hands look like they've been through a lot. No homo. And he kept putting this no homo thing. And I, I look at his friends and I know both those dudes. One dude, he's funny to describe the guy. Skinny, real skinny, kind of bugged out eyes. Big, think I have a big mustache. Crazy, like mustache that's curling, like that he waxes. Black dude from Texas. Hilarious guy. And then this other dude is actually Brazilian who is also gay. And I'm in there... And I'm like, 
why do you keep saying no homo but you're hanging out with the like two gay dudes that are friends of mine like i don't why you keep why you keep saying this and then i really thought about it man like for real if he's really saying no homo like as some kind of way to you know ward off people figuring out who he is or that he have to, he has to act any other way than who he is that that really hit me man makes me sad and in this bar with palestinians with jew jewish boyfriends and black people white people rich and poor these guys are they don't feel like hey i can just be a gay dude um it made me kind of sad and it, it but it reminded me of like the struggle that you know all walks of life have their backpack full of rocks and things that they have to overcome so I know you'll never hear this podcast, gold cross wearing bro, but don't say no homo to people anymore, man. Dude, be a homo. Be fucking crazy. Be be vibrant. Be loud and be Elton John. Be quiet. Be stoic. Be Jodie Foster. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to say, man. Just don't hide and or don't say shit like that. Um, because it makes me sad. Be who you are and. I don't know. Try to be a beacon of hope for others. Don't hide, brother. Don't be Gollum. Speaking of Gollum, I am Gulluming out pretty hard in my little cave. And I did something. I want to tip my hat to the United Kingdom for inspiring me years ago. I bought myself a kettle. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Yes, bought myself a kettle. I am in this studio, but the beautiful thing is, I might suck now. I might have accidentally deleted 5,000 photos from my phone and from my iCloud last night, and I can't get them back even though I tried to restore it. I might have ruined a <laughs> my favorite lens in the world, and I might not know how to run my camera very well. I might not know how to down things pro download pro things properly. I might trip over my words. I might have to tape everything together because I can't figure out how to assemble it. I might have to watch tutorial after tutorial that I don't want to watch, but I go on forward. Forward we will march. <laughs> you all right, mate? You got a kettle? Oh, what? What? Um, that's my cure, my Robert Smith from the Cure Impression. And the, the other one is sort of, what, mate? You want? <laughs> uh, I think I, that was Rob rubbing off me from Augustine's. Um, okay, so while I'm down here doing this, um, basically, I. I uh, I want to do a lot more visual content and vi not just content. I don't even like that damn word. Like I want to do visual work. I want to learn. And even though I'm terrible right now, 
I ask you, listeners, what platform do I use? Is is it me? I love YouTube. I love YouTube. I really, I you know, I, I've been trying to learn Spanish for literally decades, and I love it, and it really helps. Um, today, learning about Tuva or the history of Calypso, like, the internet's great. It really is, but damn, you know what I is difficult for me is the metrics of it. When I think of Instagram, I think of kids uh, like posting and what happens when you're like a freshman in high school and you have a big fat pimple on your nose or you're fat. You're just like <laughs> you're struggling with like post puberty awkwardness. The girls are all taller than you. They get snatched up by all the older guys that are seniors and you're just wandering around like a weird tumbleweed troll the acne mess and then you do something that's meaningful to you online and it gets two likes and then homegirl the like prom queen or the the cheerleader is like got friends it's connected there's a number just to show how great it all is or just how about like some shit band that buys followers or or people that are just like listen man you got to hashtag everything we got to and it's, I think I always think about with all this shit is like do you think people aren't making money off us seriously you don't think that some jerk off in an office with a swivel chair is sitting back like keep them online keep them. as long as, hey facebook as long as we can keep them online, the more time we can market, the more market, the more money we get. You just sit there like, what am I, a fucking a statistic? Am I a, 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 a cattle? Am I just a number out there to you people? And you're going to put a fucking score on it like a baseball card so I can walk around and see like what I'm worth by a fucking number? Get the fuck out of here. Anyways, part of me was defending my little <laughs> my pimple face kid face. Um, but I feel for kids and I also feel for artists. One of the coolest artists I ever knew is Tony Fitzpatrick. Um, Tony did the Rising Sunken Ships cover and I got in touch with him and he very, very interestingly worked with Lou Reed and also the Neville brothers from New Orleans. And, but he was most famous probably for doing all of Steve Earle's albums covers. And uh, Tony, to this day, he's written several books. Um, I've been to his house, a real inspiration, great Irish American, really great artist. Um, but he just chills back at his house and he does his work and he, you know, he's in the Museum of Modern Art. Um, he's, he's got his accolades and so on, but he doesn't need to go out and do anything. And he's a very gruff, dude that wasn't that's been an AA for years he was an old bouncer I always think of Tony like what does Tony think about all this shit this is these metrics and the more like kind of film stuff I'm getting into and like video work and so on this this one I'm editing now is the it's the third piece I've directed right but where does it live where does it go I think about what Tony would say like do I put it on YouTube and I know that that's where everyone goes but that's the place with the bad music and the and these I don't know, the sponsored ads of fucking political stuff and the russian the tampering and this and the trump it's like i want to hide out in a at a creative place so what do you think 
What do you think about YouTube? What do you think about me starting a channel on YouTube? Would that, would that like degrade my efforts? I wake up basically at six o'clock in the morning every day. I work all day, whether I'm setting up cables or I'm practicing songs, I'm graphic design, I'm writing a story or a book, I'm editing things or I'm rehearsing. I, mean, I work hard and it's, it's just very weird that artists, if they're not careful, can kind of be, kind of be judged um, by a numeric system about how many people like them. I guess it's always been around in the, in the uh, film business. I want to know the details of DVDs that go, or films that go straight to DVD. Really an interesting one. And what was the, did those metrics, that it didn't, I guess it didn't really do as well as people thought. Did those metrics hurt it? I think films deal with this all the time. Art walking side by side with commerce and now walking side by side with technology is a very interesting intersection. So yes, I, I have a lot of filming and and directing and stuff that I'd like to do, but where does it live? Some people have said Vimeo. Some people say, dude, buck up. You got to go do YouTube. Everybody does it. But I'm like, God, that's so weird. I mean, when record labels, I'm not sure how much power they have anymore, but um, when them and companies got together and wanted to make things happen, you know, happened with us. I We did commercials and... Um, car commercials and trailers and stuff and like they just they they'll slap that stuff together and doors fly wide open but they've got to be willing to play ball if they're not willing to play ball you're kind of on your own and that's the diy world and i'm in diy world so where does diy digital live that is the question Alrighty, you have been listening to on with william mccarthy i am now going to answer a couple of questions okay um so this is from a fan also, always feel free to write in. Um, you can go to my williammccarthy.org and you can find out how to contact me there. Just go ahead and write me and I'll answer it. So I appreciate you guys, the people that wrote um, for this week's podcast. This is from Maurice. Maurice. In Portland, Oregon. Cool. Okay, two words. Thank you, Maurice. Motorcycle plans. This is a great question, man. That's a great question, Maurice. To be honest with you, man, I think I'm going to, I mean, I think I'm going to do the same thing I did. I think, I think the Adriatic is pretty legit, man. If I can swing it, I'm announcing a tour, which is coming in the next couple months. So everybody, um, keep an eye out for that. But what's cool about being a musician is Sometimes you play shows and it kind of leaves you in a region and you got to get yourself home. But it took me a while to figure out that like you could stay in that region and visit another region from that region. And like, I ended up in like Turkey and like, you know, Cape Verde was a trip that I wish I, I had bought the ticket and I didn't go, but like I, Europe's a great place in the summertime. And I think Maurice, to answer your question, I think I want to go back down to Croatia, man. Um, and I almost don't even want to talk about it too much because I want to keep it like my little secret. <laughs> I think it's such a cool place. Um, but yeah, motorcycle. I love Italy, um, but Croatia is just so so chilled out. And on a motorcycle, that's what you're looking for. You're not looking for crazy. You're looking for mellow and relaxed. So um, 
that'll happen this summer when I'm done with my summer worth of shows, right? I, it's a little me time. So thank you for asking Maurice in Portland. Um, let's keep looking here. Okay. That is, uh, um, Jared Vancouver. William, a girlfriend and I broke up, but we are still living together. And now she's dating. We have a lease for another six months. What do I do? I love walkabout. Jared. Okay, man. Bro. I think that... <laughs> there's times when you just got to ask your friends to step in. Like, I know things are messy and there's no real rules to anything. And we're all figuring it out. But I don't think you should live with someone you broke up with. I think breaking up is literally breaking up. <laughs> Splitting up and going away and healing and trying to trying to reconnect and find that person that you were that went into this thing with somebody else and accept that it didn't work, bro. So you shouldn't you shouldn't be living together. So I don't know, man, and I'm I'm sure you have a job and everything and you don't want to like be crashing at your friends' houses. And obviously you're in this situation for a reason. You didn't really expand much on it, but, um, yeah, I would say don't listen to anything. Absolutely make it happen. Will it to happen, sell shit, do whatever you got to do, but you can't live together. And like, you don't want that man. <laughs> so, um, let's leave it there with the, with the, uh, males and I wanted to let you know that magic number is three, nine. Do or die, three nine. I have lost thirty nine pounds since uh, this fall, and I am close to forty pounds, man. How the hell is this going? I'm gonna be really honest with you. Not being on the road all the time and working on my toolbox as a creative has been great. Waking up in the morning has been really helpful, um, and. Rolling back the weird bar scenarios and um, just staying home more and working and reading and studying and trying to push this thing forward. And I think that's a great place to leave it today. Let's push things forward. That's a song by the streets. Let's push things forward. Terrible British accent. You've been listening to Honor with Wayne McCarthy. Live from Brooklyn, New York, sending you all my best. Happy February. We're almost out of this thing.